Welcome to Today's Issues, offering a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Tim Wildman, President of the American Family Association. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the radio program Today's Issues here on American Family Radio, thanks for listening to AFR. I'm Tim Wildman. Hope you had a nice weekend. Joining me in studio is Fred Jackson. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Tim. And Chris Woodward. Good morning. And uh, you gentlemen have a good weekend? It's a great weekend. I went to see the latest Left Behind movie. Okay, tell us about it. Uh, Kevin Sorbo, uh-huh. uh, fairly well known uh, in the acting world, and... Uh, the latest update, I, I was trying to think uh, the series, the Left Behind book series. Remember, that was so popular. Mm-hmm. Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Yeah, back, what, 10, 15 years ago? And then there was uh, an initial movie that came out. Several Kirk, years. Kirk Cameron. He was in that. He's not in this latest one. But uh, this latest one, uh, I would say, is um, is really quite good. Good gospel message in it, of course, number one. Uh but also they they've taken the opportunity to kind of work in some of the things that we talk about when when we talk about the pandemic yeah. and, and the push by certain administrations about misinformation and control over the population so they they work some of that into this movie so it's they kind of bring it up to date and what that means with regards to bible prophecy on the second coming of Christ so it was it was very good very good so, but Kevin Sarbo is the... He's, a, he's the producer. I met he, him. He's also uh, kind of the lead character. If you remember the Left Behind series, he plays the role of uh, Captain Steele, an airline pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... I, I don't want to spoil it for people. Right, right. But, it's, but it really is quite good. Very, very good. All right, Christopher. Yeah. Your weekend consisted of? Uh, I, my wife and I went out to eat alone uh went out and had a, a nice meal together uh, and had adult conversation we did yeah how many and kids you got at home i have two wow two daughters yeah and i'm praying jesus returns before they're teenagers and dating <laughs> well That's, you're joined every by. father's sweet right, hour right, of prayer right. ends with and lord if you could just come back right 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 well um uh, all right then gentlemen so much to talk about it's just us three uh ray's not with us today ray is Going to be on the program tomorrow, Ray Pritchard. And Brother Ed Battagliano is in South Florida attending the funeral services for his father. Mm-hmm. who passed away and be in yeah. prayer for Ed and his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad was in his 90s. Mm-hmm. And he was a Marine. Yeah. And he uh, was a believer, follower of Christ. So Absolutely. We know he's in heaven now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Ed uh, uh, saying goodbye yeah. uh, to his dad uh, and he'll, he'll be back. I don't know if they're flying back today or or tomorrow. So we'll we'll find we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's the situation with Ed and Ray. Uh, gentlemen, uh, it was Friday night uh, uh, after we had, of course, we we did a trivia show Friday morning, mm-hmm. as we always do, and then Friday evening, Chris was when the Memphis Police Department released the video footage yes. of the. Uh, beating mm-hmm. by the five officers of the young man. His yeah. name, Tyree uh, 
Nichols. Nichols. Very, uh, very graphic uh, video. Uh, I lot couldn't of, watch it hardly. Yeah, uh, basically everybody that showed it warned beyond you know countless times. Hey, this is going to be very graphic. Be advised. Um, I, I watched it in its entirety. Uh, much of it is from the kind of perspective of one of the officers. It's body cam footage from one of the officers. Um, and so now we're kind of but, in. But there's another camera that that's on, a, I guess, a telephone pole or yes. something? Yes. Mm-hmm. They captured everything. Um, so Yeah, Nichols was beaten uh, severely uh, by multiple individuals, all of them police officers. Uh, people have been fired over this. Uh, and once the video came out, uh, we're kind of like, oh, you know, what's going to happen now? There were demonstrations, uh, not just in Memphis, but in other parts of the country. Uh, there was even uh, something organized called the Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods Unit, or Scorpion. Um, the update with that is a 50-person specialized Scorpion unit launched to reduce crime in Memphis was deactivated over the weekend. The move came as the nation reacted to the video of the fatal police beating by five officers of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols, which, for those that haven't seen it, shows Nichols being tased, belted with a baton, repeatedly kicked in the face and brutalized uh, despite seeming to put up no resistance. All five former officers charged in the killing are members of the unit. I do have some audio here. Uh, Shelby County DA Steve Mulroy says he's not ruling out new charges for others who may have played a role in Trey Nichols' death. Clip one. We're going to need time to allow the investigation to go forward and further uh, consideration of charges. Nothing we did last Thursday regarding the indictments precludes us from bringing other charges later. Now, now the uh, young man who lost his life was Tyree Nichols. Isn't that correct? Or- uh, Tyree, yes. I said Trey. I'm sorry. Yeah, Tyree Nichols. Uh, Fred, did you watch the, the video? I did, and uh, same reaction for anybody who's seen this video. It, it's just hard to understand. And the big question in people's minds, and it'll come out, I guess, during the trial for these individuals, these five cops who have been fired, now charged with second-degree murder and several other charges. The big question, why? This young man is pulled over. We don't know for what reason. Hauled out of the the vehicle. And as Chris, others have seen this video, and then the cops just start beating him up. He did try to run. We understand now he was very near his home. Mm -hmm. And the, the belief is that he was trying to, get away from the cops to run home yes. and he's calling his mom. Uh, that, that, yeah, <clears throat> that's why when he was on the ground crying for his mom, because you were wondering, well, is he, like, out of it? Why is he crying for his mom? Mm-hmm. Well, it was because his mo- the house where his mom lived was not was a block away or two blocks away. It wasn't far away at all. So five cops, what we what, what we Understand about this. You got five cops beating up this young man. We don't know why. Or beat him to death. Yeah, they beat him to death. He died. Uh, yeah. Struck time after. after in the hospital. You know, <clears throat> and now they're they're looking at possible charges. They called for medical help. These cops did call for medical help. It was about 20 minutes getting there. But some other, there's another sheriff's deputy arrived. Two of them, I think. And they are seen kind of standing around. So everybody is trying to understand, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Right. And uh, you're right. A lot, a lot of the, I guess, answers to those questions will come out in court mm-hmm. when these uh, five officers, you know, go through the legal process. But just watching it, um, 
yeah, it was like, you know, turn your head away, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the brutality. Yes. I mean, you just wonder, like you're saying, I know that police officers are like anybody else. They are <clears throat> emotional mm-hmm. and they have adrenaline going and, um, they, they, they themselves feel threatened mm-hmm. oftentimes, uh, by a situation, not knowing how a person or persons are going to react but in this case, if this was the first, uh, um, I guess, uh, what what would you say, interaction between the police and Tyree Nichols? He was thirty. What was he thirty? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. If the and again, if this was the first, uh, if if when that officer told him to get out of the car, if that was the first reaction. Or interaction, I guess. So that then, then I'm just thinking, man, this is no way to de-escalate a situation. Mm-hmm. You've just, you act, you know what I'm saying. So I don't know what motivated the police officer to engage him in such a, a, a really a, a violent manner to start the whole thing, just sort of yanking him out of the car. And mm-hmm. I was, I was going, I was thinking to myself, whatever happened to. Uh, May I see your license and registration, please. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe that's again. I don't know everything about what led up to that moment, but if if that was the first interaction, you know what I'm saying, or at least get out of the car and put your hands on the where I can see your hands or something mm-hmm. like that. But almost yank the fellow out of the car and just then just from then on it was just a. A beat down, yeah. Quite frankly. Yeah. Well, it's five cops against one guy. Yeah, and he was wasn't a very our... big guy. I mean, his, his mama said he was 150 pounds or something mm-hmm. like that. Anyways. He was the fourth person to die mm-hmm. after encounters with Memphis area law enforcement in a five-week span. Uh, what makes this case more historic? Hey, what, what did you just say now? Uh, Nichols uh, was yes. the fourth person to die after encounters with Memphis area law enforcement in a five-week span. Right. Of course, and, of course, all those situations are different. Right. We don't know. We don't know. What, but but those, those are the, the, the you're just laying bare, bare the facts of the. One of the things that stood out to me when I watched it, uh, and I'm sure other people had their different takeaways, and they're sharing as much on shows or blogs or whatnot. Uh, one of the officers appeared to be kind of uh, taken aback by some pepper spray that was used, uh, and so he goes and he kind of you know he walks away, collects his thoughts. Uh, you know, you can hear him trying to catch his breath or whatnot while the other people are in an encounter uh, with Mr. Nichols, um, hurting him, hitting him. And then the officer walks back over there and then joins, rejoins the officers in abusing uh, Mr. Nichols. Yeah, you know, five police officers, two police officers, especially these gentlemen were good-sized men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you should be able to handcuff this fellow, even if he resist. Yeah. Uh and and take him in. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. This again, this uh, a lot of the details and facts and and the side of the officers will come out in the uh, in the trials. But to just it, it, it when you see something like this, it, 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 it can't help but tarnish the reputation of the Memphis Police Department. Certainly, yeah. But you know, uh. It at least momentarily, it you know it hurts police yeah, it all does. over the country. It, it's uh, the comparisons <clears throat> are all 
already starting with Rodney King incident in Los Angeles many years ago, back in, I guess it was the 80s. And uh, what the next chapter of this is going to be interesting to see, the lawyers for these police officers, the speculation is from the legal experts, uh, Jonathan Turley and some of the others, the lawyers are likely going to ask for a change of venue almost immediately, which, comparing it to the Rodney King case in Los Angeles many years ago, because they said it's going to be impossible to find an untainted jury to put these officers on trial. You mean, you mean individuals who have not already formed an opinion about formed it? Formed an opinion about yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, That's true, because uh, with social media now being what it is, it's Mm-hmm. It was worldwide. I don't know that you could have a change of venue anywhere and get that. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree uh, with that uh, uh, situation. Of course, um, <clears throat> some on the political left are saying this is racism or white supremacy. Which including is, including black, uh, black man Van Jones said it was uh, racism. Uh, he's a CNN guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just insane. I mean, <laughs> huh? You have five black officers, one black young man uh, with a black police chief and a black mayor, I believe. The mayor's not black, no. Oh, the mayor's not black. But anyway, black sheriff. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the sheriff's – now, the sheriff's deputies didn't have anything to do with the beating. I don't want to no. But, I mean, this is uh, – well, you talk about reaching to try to make this some, some kind of a racial issue. Here's what, Here's what one claim with regards to blaming white people for this is that white lawmakers have not done enough – in the way of police reform, that was the spin well, that I heard from one. That's just mm. – that didn't have anything to do with the way this uh, this t- went down. No. Uh, <laughs> any police officer's training would include uh, how to handle a, a crisis situation or a, a confrontation, mm-hmm. and this was not it. No. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the – the baton beating and and the way they were threatening him and talking to him. Anyway, uh, so that's you just got to dismiss this as left wing lunacy, mm-hmm. um, right? Because there there was no uh, racial dynamic here. Thank God, yes. Or the whole country would have burned down, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no racial dynamic yeah. here, uh, and uh, so uh, it it it's a but you know in, in Memphis. You got. I hate to say this, but I think this is going to be true of almost every big city in America. They're in a death spiral. Yeah. Ever since now, this is my take. Okay, from my life experience and looking at it from. Say, <clears throat> I don't live in a big city. I'm not a minority, so I, I don't have a. I don't have that kind of a, a view. But I would just say, looking <clears throat> from my perspective, I say death spiral. What's going to what? The, and it, to me, this is a result of what happened after George Floyd' death. <clears throat> George Floyd's death, uh, yeah, and the, uh, Officer Chauvin and the others. He was, you know, they were convicted of his, the murder, right? Of George Floyd. True. True. Well, remember, it was during the summer, and and we had all the. Uh, marches but had the, we had a lot of peaceful marches but we had a lot of black lives matter and antifa right <clears throat> riots burning things down defund the police kill the cops remember that oh yes okay that went on for what a few weeks right mm-hmm. 
Well, and remember all this nuttiness about defund the police? Yep. And, uh, okay, well, uh, that <clears throat> led to a diminishing of police departments in these big cities. Uh, in other words, officers were getting out who, had, who were experienced. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, they were they were finding other jobs or they were leaving their profession or <clears throat> whatever. But uh, remember all these police departments then were having a hard time recruiting? Seattle, Portland. Okay. Yeah. So if you have a hard time recruiting enough officers to police your city, then you start uh, saying, then you start lowering the standards of what you'll accept. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, then you have less experienced police officers engaged in uh, an ever increasing uh, a violent, more violent situation with gangs and thugs and. Your life, you feel like uh, your life is on the line every day you go to work. The stress that that creates. But if 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 your policing goes down and your crime increases, then people leave your city. You follow my death spiral hill, and then uh, when people leave your city, then <clears throat> you lose your tax base. Mm-hmm. Businesses shutter, mm-hmm. and you end up with uh, the. You basically end up with a, a wild, wild west yeah. situation, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I don't know that you can if cities can recover uh, from that. So, to me, this is a this is all a result of the uh, defund the police, anti police sentiments that were created by some BLM and Antifa. And quite frankly, I don't think they spoke for the majority of, as we, as it turns out, the majority of uh, people who live in these big cities. They don't want less police. They want more, or at least they want effective policing. They just, uh, the, but they can't have these kinds of situations, what happened with this uh, gentleman, because that just, again, worsens everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we got to say it, the, the common factor across all of this these are democrat run cities oh yeah go down the list yeah chicago detroit new york seattle portland minneapolis right they're all democrat run right. cities That's true here's what it, it's hard to understand just following your thought there new york they had an opportunity to bring in some law and order governor <laughs> the go- the governor they they elect a democrat who's all for police reform and you just scratch your head. How many times New Yorkers do you have to get your head beat in before you'll say, I think there's a link between the politicians and, and the way the city is going down the tubes. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't, there's not enough New Yorkers who believe in what the Republicans offer of law and order and stopping this no cash bail and, being soft on violent, even violent criminals. <clears throat> so I don't mean to sound unsympathetic to people in New York, but you voted for this. Yeah. I'm not, you know, so you vote for it, you live with it. Yeah. Right. And, and you're right. They vote, they're voting. Look what they did in Illinois mm-hmm. with in the state legislature, right? No cash bail. Isn't that what they yeah. passed? Yeah. And, 
all these district attorneys, George Soros funded district attorneys. Yeah, so you get what you vote for. You know, just, you get what you vote for. So it's a, it, as I say, it's the, things are just spiraling out of control, and these uh, crime uh, numbers are way up mm-hmm. uh, since the defund the police uh, Antifa Black Lives Matter movement of two or three years ago. Yeah, crime is way up because they're not being punished, and they know that. Yeah, and the gangs are taking over the cities yeah. basically. Yep. All right, Christopher. Well, one other thing, too, as far as like these big cities, uh, you know, losing their tax base because businesses are leaving and people are moving out, uh, that that is something that impacts the entire state. I, I, I think it's important to point that out to people, because uh, if if people in Tennessee, which is doing well, it's got Nashville, it's got Memphis, it's got big, big cities and a lot of companies and businesses and whatnot. But if you were to lose Memphis, that is a gigantic chunk of money that you're not going to have pouring money into the coffers anymore. So let's say you live in Franklin or, uh, I don't know, um, Jackson, Tennessee, which is in the Memphis area. You could end up paying higher taxes, state taxes, because all of a sudden you've lost Memphis, <clears throat> that huge tax base. So don't well, think, oh, you know, liberal cities, yeah. I, I'm glad I don't live there. You probably <clears throat> end up going to have to pay, uh, unfortunately. Well, j- by the way, Jackson, Tennessee is about 70 miles from Memphis. Yes. So. But I'm just trying to think, yeah, of, in yeah, the area. but uh, yeah, but, but people are going to get out of these big cities proper if they can. You see what's happening in Atlanta? Crime is so bad. Buckhead, which is uh, a a wealthy part of Atlanta, they're 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 wanting to secede. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're wanting to get out of Atlanta so they can have their own police force. Yep. You know, uh, because they because of the crime getting out of control, and even even a lot of the suburbs of these larger cities. I'm just saying. You you have a uh, the bottom line is recruiting police officers, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you you're going to have to you, you're lowering your standards, or for your qualifications, which is going to lead to worse problems. Mm-hmm. That's yep. what I'm saying mm-hmm. in these big cities because they can't find enough, right? All right, uh, you're listening to today's issues. Uh, we got about a minute. Well, I do want to point out that we do have coverage of the Tyree Nichols situation on our website with associated press content. Uh, We're going to try to get a reaction to the various things going on over the course of today. So keep it right here on this radio network for more from us on the Memphis uh, situation. We'll also have stuff on our website, AFN.net. Rusty's already on it this morning on the radio side of things. Robert will have coverage this afternoon. Steve will be following up with it as well. Steve Jordahl. All right, do we have a guest next up? Speaking of uh, policing and police officers, we've got a guest coming up, right, don't we? We have a young police officer who ran into trouble because he expressed the view, you ready for this, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And he got fired for that, right? Well, he got in trouble for it. He got challenged. His bosses told him, you can't say that because you might upset the homosexual community. And from where? He is from uh, a South Carolina, right? No, at, uh, Port Wentworth Police Department near Savannah. Savannah, Georgia. Yep. We're going to talk to him? Yep. When we get back from the break, stay with us.
What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies, and I'll tell you all about it. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. These are difficult days in Memphis, Tennessee, my hometown. At this moment, the lobby of the Peabody Hotel filled with national reporters waiting for the riots to start, waiting for our city to burn, all the while drinking our sweet tea, eating our barbecue. It's callous. It's disgusting. The problems facing Memphis are not unlike those facing other cities. Ruled by Democrats for more than 50 years, the city council battled police, defund the police, a popular buzzword, even tried to rename a major thoroughfare, Black Lives Matter Boulevard. And now five black cops accused of brutally murdering a black citizen. The media has tried to make this about race. One pastor actually said that a black man killed at the hands of a black officer is a sign of white supremacy. Well, maybe instead of ginning up controversy, The preachers and the politicians and the press can just get out of town. Leave us be in peace. I'm Todd Stearns. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. American Family Radio. This is Today's Issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to today's issues on the American Family Radio Network. I'm Tim Wildman with Fred Jackson and Chris Woodward. And we thank you for listening to AFR. If you want to send us an email, the address is comments at AFR.net, comments at AFR.net. 
Also, if you want to watch the show, we live video stream at Facebook. Just type in Today's Issues, and we also post the stories there that we discuss so you can have access to where, we get, where we're getting our information from. And then um, also uh, we our own video streaming service, which is streaming.afa.net. Check that out. Take a minute or two to sign up, and then you can have access to a lot of free, uh, all our shows here, most all our shows during the day that we uh, live video stream. And we um, uh, also have other other shows and, and videos that you can take advantage of on various and sundry topics at streaming.afa.net. Uh, well, I was reading a story last week, fellas, about a uh, young police officer in uh, Georgia <clears throat> that had lost his job. And I thought, that, what did he do? <laughs> and I saw, what was your job for posting something on Facebook about in defense of marriage, traditional marriage? And uh, so... Chris, uh, we have uh, you did a story on this, and now we've invited the uh, yeah the officer on the uh, officer on with us. Yeah, the uh, the gentleman is named Jacob Kersey, nineteen years old. Uh, he was a police <clears throat> officer at the Port Wentworth Police Department near Savannah. Uh, that is until he posted something on Facebook that his supervisors did not like. Jacob, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. What did you post on your Facebook page that people took great exception to? Yeah, well, on January 2nd of this year, I um, posted that God created marriage, that marriage refers to Christ and his bride, the church, and that's why there's no such thing as a homosexual marriage. Um, and my police department told me that that was the same thing as using the N-word, um, that someone found it offensive, and that if I did it again, I would be fired for it. Um, so I decided to resign. Oh, okay. So they didn't fire you. They gave you a warning. If you did, if you did it again, uh, okay, I got you. Well, what is, that was the same as using the N word. That's, that's what, Correct, yeah, that's what, that's what my police uh, chief told me. Um, I had a meeting on, on January the 4th, uh, after originally being led to believe that I had been fired. Um, the day after I posted it, I, I was called and, and told to turn in everything that belongs to the city. Um, and uh, I, I go into this meeting on January 4th, and, and my police chief likened it to the same thing as, as saying the N-word. Yeah. Um, and afterwards, they informed me that they were going to place me on administrative leave and do an investigation uh, to see if I had violated any rules or policies or anything of that nature. Well, a week later... Um, after the January 4th meeting, they brought me back in and told me that I didn't violate any department policies or rules, but that they were going to create a new department policy that would, would, would basically the way they told me that it would be um, enforced is I, I'm allowed to post Bible verses or scriptures. However, if I post an interpretation or explanation or opinion of a Bible verse and someone somewhere says, hey, that offends me, then I would be fired for it. And I don't really know where that ends. That's such a slippery slope and dangerous precedent. And um, on your own, on I, your own, I, I on your own, on your own time, on your own personal Facebook page, mm-hmm. yes. right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Th- this had this was not me on the side of the road right. on a traffic stop right. preaching the gospel to someone. Right. I did this when I was off duty. Yeah, we're talking to Jacob Kersey. He's a 
formerly a police officer for Port Wentworth. Uh, this is in uh, uh, Georgia. Is this right outside of Savannah? It is. It's not far from Savannah at all. It's right up the Savannah River. And uh, you're 19 years old. Uh, was this your first job? This isn't my, my first job. I started working when I was 16, but, um, yeah, I mean, in the state of Georgia, when you, when you turn 18, you're, you know, depending on which department you work at, you, you can become a police officer, just like, you know, you can join sure. the military. Why did you want to be um, a police and, and, officer? Why did you want to be yeah. a police officer? Well, growing up, I uh, grew up in a broken home, and, and police officers were, were involved in, in my life due to a custody battle at a young age, and, and they would come um, and establish peace and, and bring order and, and, and reach out and encourage a young boy who was going through a lot of family trouble at a young age, and, and I admired that, um, and I really wanted to experience what it's like to serve. I mean, it's one thing to, to talk about it, to admire it, or to you know preach about it behind a microphone, but it's another thing next to get out there and do it. And um, I was really excited to, to have the opportunity to, to serve my community. And I only heard great things about my work as a police officer while I was there. But um, yeah. unfortunately, I was told I'm not allowed to, to talk about Scripture and what it means when I'm, when I'm off duty. So, Yeah. Jacob, uh, Fred Jackson here. Now, uh, at one point in your conversation with, the, with your authorities there, uh, they brought up the old separation of church and state. Now, uh, you're a a Heritage Foundation Academy fellow, which means you know a little bit something about separation of church and state and the history of that. Why don't you tell our audience your understanding? You've done the research on this, and uh, you know, I think, a whole lot more about what separation of church and state is about, unlike uh, some others. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that them saying that that separation church and state is the reason I can't, when I'm off duty, state my religious beliefs, it's such an ignorant misunderstanding of what that originally means. Uh, If you go back, that was a a letter by the, you know, Danbury Baptist uh, in Connecticut writing to Thomas Jefferson saying, hey, we don't want the federal government to do like a lot of early American colonies have done and establish one type of of denomination um, of Christianity that we could be punished for. Uh, if we don't abide by that denomination, and and Thomas Jefferson wrote back and said, "Don't worry, you know, I'm we're not the federal government's not going to keep you from freely and openly practicing your uh, denomination of Christianity. There's going to be a separation of church and state." But but he was saying that to to tell them that the state wasn't going to keep them from being outspoken about their Christianity, not saying that you can't be outspoken like my my police department. And you know, in 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 the American colonies, you had men like Roger Williams. Obadiah Holmes and, and John Clark, and they face punishments from departing from you know state-sanctioned congregationalism. Um, and, and so this idea of separation of church and state was to keep the state from establishing one type of Christianity so that people could openly practice their version of Christianity, whether that's Baptist, whether that's Anglican, whether that's Presbyterian, without the state saying, hey, don't do that. Yeah, we're talking to Jacob Kersey, a former Port Wentworth police officer, 19 years old. He was uh, uh, told to resign. Well, told he'd be fired if he didn't resign, I guess, basically is how you put it, if he did, if he continued to post on his own personal Facebook page any um, commentary on, on the Bible. Uh, and so I'll, I'll bet you there'll be some other police department or sheriff's offices looking for men of your... Uh, age and 
uh, caliber, the Jacob. So you probably in, in law enforcement, you probably won't have a hard time finding another job. I don't think, will you? Well, I'll tell you this: I've had law enforcement officers, uh, police chiefs, police chaplains all over the nation here in the state of Georgia, and, and all over, reach out and send messages, send emails, send you know comments, and say they support me and say that they that I'm speaking for a lot of law enforcement out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 unfortunately, this this is just one police department who I think just uh, made a bad decision. And has a misunderstanding of, of what separation of church and state means, and you know they they trying to to bully me and into to taking this post down so that I can right. continue to work there. But there's a lot of law enforcement out there who believe just like I do, um, and and who will not be silenced, and who does respect their employees' rights to freely practice their religion when they're off duty. Right. And uh, is your Facebook page still active? It is yeah, more, more than ever, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, J- Jacob uh, Kersey, K-E-R-S-E-Y. All right. Well, listen, Jacob, we wish you the best. We'll pray for you. And uh, thank you for coming on our, our program here on American Family Radio. Well, yes. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and, and uh, I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah, when I when I spoke with him on Friday, uh, we went over much of the same information. I did ask him whether or not uh, he had considered or discussed with anybody uh, legal challenges over this. And he said, you know, he was in talks to uh, look at uh, legal options, but he did say, you know, I went on, I did resign. I wasn't fired. Um, so he may face uh, an uphill battle there. Um, but it, it's definitely a, a it, it's definitely a, a terrible, unfortunate situation here. You know, I just saw um, Fox News is doing a story here over some uh, controversial things that Congresswoman Ilhan Omar has tweeted. One of them was talking about how people in Israel had fallen asleep and she prayed that Allah would awaken the eyes of Israelis and stuff like that. And that was several years ago. But he gets in trouble for su- supposedly violating church and state. And here you have a, a member of Congress um, saying things that are far worse than what he posted on his personal Facebook page. For some reason, it's always the Joe Sixpack that gets in trouble. Well, yeah, you know, um, now, to a certain extent, what people post on their personal Facebook pages, for example, is a reflection of your employer to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. For example, I wouldn't, uh, as president of this ministry, I wouldn't want our employees posting uh, obscene material or profanity or, or uh, you know, racist things or, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because even though that may be on their own personal time and their own personal space, that's still a reflection on <clears throat> their employer, who they work for. Mm-hmm. So so I'm not, I'm not objecting to, to that uh principle altogether but what i am what i would say is uh if jacob kersey is being accused of mistreating people because they're lgbt as an officer that's one thing or if you were advocating violence against a group of people that also would be unacceptable but here all he's doing is quoting a bible verse and saying that uh Marriage between marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's the only legitimate marriage. He's not a lawmaker. He's not a legislator. I doubt this situation would ever come up in his work. Mm-hmm. So why are you why are you uh, 
go after him as your police chief uh, to say, no, you can't. You can't advocate that belief uh, is uh, is religious discrimination, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of whether it's police departments, whether it's schools, uh, they have been um, find themselves the victims of a, a uh, campaign by the left to say you can't say things. Right. Right. This is right. what's going on. We have another story. This actually comes from our home state here in Mississippi. I believe it's Simpson <clears throat> County where a little girl was told she could not, this was during the height of the COVID, Mm. she couldn't wear a mask. You know, they were told they had to wear masks. But she couldn't wear a mask with Jesus loves me on it. So, again... When did that happen? This... Uh, this, Back in 2020. Okay. Back in 2020. Uh, Of course, that has been resolved now. Alliance Defending Freedom got involved with that. And again, it's just... They hear from an atheist group or they hear right, from a homosexual right. group, hey, we're going to come after you. We're going to sue you if if you let that little girl wear that mask or you yeah. let that police officer quote scripture. Right, right. And these people don't understand we still have that, a First Amendment right in this right. country. That's how uh, twisted the, the left's view is of separation of church and state. Yes. And not only the left, but many uh, ignorant, uninformed, uneducated people who aren't necessarily political, but you you say to them, "Do you believe in separation church and state?" They'll say, "Yeah, it's in it's in the Constitution." If they even know anything else is in the Constitution, mm-hmm. but that's what they believe because that's what that's the falsehood that's been pounded into people's brains. Yeah, it's what politicians and their allies in the media tell them the Constitution says. Right. Yes. All right. Well, we wish the best for. Uh, for Jacob Kersey, K-E-R-S-E-Y. All right, next story, Chris. Well, I want to bring attention to an event uh, planned for later this week in Washington, D.C. It's an event called the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. It is scheduled to begin Wednesday, February 1st, early in the morning, and it's going to be held at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. A number of organizations, including American Family Association, are sponsors of this week's event One of the main organizers is Tony Perkins, president of Family Research Council. And I've got some sound here from Tony talking about the need for a national gathering for prayer and repentance. Clip 10. Our nation is in trouble because we've turned our back on God and we must repent. Now, I know that sounds foreign in the 21st century, but it's true. God hasn't changed and we still as, a human, as human beings, as we live in a fallen world, when we fall short of what God has uh, designed for us and what he expects for us as nations, as individuals, we need to turn back to him. And that's, I think, where we are today. When you see all the problems, whether it's the crime, whether it's the economy, whether it's the weather, what, all of this. I know people will mock at that, but it's, if you believe the Bible, it's right there. One other thing to mention here, and it's not just... Um private citizens that are going to be participating at the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. A number of uh, legislators, federal legislators, are also planning to be in attendance, including Speaker Kevin McCarthy, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, and Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana. I've also got some audio from him, clip 11. We're in perilous times as a nation. We're in unprecedented times, really. The challenges we face now are in, in so many ways unlike challenges that that any previous generation of Americans have faced. And so we look at that very soberly. We understand uh, 
that, that how a, a great a challenge this is really for the future of our republic, that the survival of our republic. And so it's hard to overstate the necessity of turning to God. Uh, you know, the, the founders of our country did that. Um, in all of the epochs of uh, history and in our country over the last 246 plus years, um, there were there there have been times of great challenge before, and 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 when those times arose, the leaders of the nation went to God in prayer. They got on their knees and they repented and they asked for His guidance and, and His direction and His wisdom. And we need to do that today. One more thing to mention here: this is called the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. Again, it's this Wednesday at the Museum of the Bible in Washington D.C. Fred, this is a separate event from something I think most people are familiar with, that being the National Prayer Breakfast. What What's up with that? Well, a lot of people are very familiar with that. You know, usually the president shows up, this National Prayer Breakfast. Uh, politicians, Republicans, Democrats are there. Uh, sometimes they'll have a speaker in. Uh, but what has happened with that? And the Associated Press had a story on this last week. That has been taken over by a group called the National Prayer Breakfast Foundation, and basically it's run by Democrats. And what I took away from the Associated Press story on this, um, they were getting worried that perhaps uh, it was getting too Christian in its sound, and uh, they wanted to move away to make it more multi-religion, this National Prayer Breakfast and so I, I think uh, the group that Tony yep. is talking about the event this Wednesday is a response to that. Well, we uh, here at AFA and American Family Radio, we're co-sponsors with uh, Family Research Council and other groups of the event at the Bible Museum on Wednesday. Thir- Wednesday. Mm-hmm. By the way, Abraham Hamilton III will be representing us there for that event. He'll have a prayer and and speak, uh, and uh, Jenna Ellis will be there and others. And Chris. And Chris, Chris, you're going. Uh, that's in Washington. I, I wanted to go, but uh, couldn't. So uh, that's uh, we're very proud to be a part of that. And that's explicitly Christian. Yes. Okay. What happened here is it's kind of what you're talking about. Because I've been to this uh, uh, National Prayer Breakfast. Yes. I've been two or three times. I know I heard President Clinton speak. I heard, uh, let's see, was it? George W. Bush, uh, or, or pres- no, it was President uh, Trump. Mm. I went one time when President Trump was was uh, in office, <clears throat> and uh, I think this originally started as a uh, a, a, a Christian event. It was, it was meant to offer prayers to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus. That's who. That's what it was. But it uh, got more uh, ecumenical, if you will. Ecumenical is okay on certain things and to a certain point, but uh, if you're going to talk about prayer, you can't pray to all these gods. Yes. <laughs> and you can't be in a meeting where you pretend to pray to Moloch and and uh, I, I'm being facetious mm-hmm. on that one, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other religions that also would say we can't associate with Christians because they don't believe like we do in terms, not in terms of working for uh, some political objectives, but I'm talking about prayer, okay? Uh, so Christians, these Christians that are separating to have this event at the Museum, Museum of the Bible is in reaction to the universalism, I guess you could say, 
that the uh, that it's overtaken the national prayer breakfast, which is an annual event at the. You remember that was the that was the hotel that was the event that President Reagan was shot at. I believe it was. Hmm. I'm almost positive. It, I'll look it, it up. It, he was uh, uh, he was attending the national prayer breakfast. It was at the. I want to say it's a Hyatt. Is it Hilton or Hyatt at Washington Hilton? I think. Do you remember that? Do you, are you looking that up? See if I my, see if my memory's right. March 30th, 1981, Reagan was leaving the Hilton Hotel where he had been meeting or talking to 5,000 members of the AFL-CIO when several shots were fired. This is according to the well, Reagan Library. My memory failed me there. It was a Washington Hilton, though, right? Mm-hmm. I got that. I got the month wrong and the group wrong. And I got the group wrong by a mile. I got the month wrong by, by 30 days or so or whatever it was. But uh, the AFL-CIO. That's, no, that's not exactly the uh, Christians gathering to to, to pray. <laughs> it's a different kind anyway, of Anyway, it was the same. It was the whole, same hotel, though. Is at the Washington Hilton, where he, where President Reagan was uh, was shot. All right, you're listening to today's issues on AFR. We got about seven minutes, Chris. What else you got over there? Oh, a stack of stuff. Well, it's kind of a pick your topic here. Um, well, yeah, Fred, yes. Fred picked one. For well, us. let's do this because I'm getting the uh, the Canadian signal. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a we have a bill in Minnesota, uh, which could be bill who a bill in Minnesota uh, a measure in oh Minnesota. oh my bad I thought we were gonna you're gonna interview Bill yeah. in Minnesota. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, okay. we have a, a pro abortion measure in uh, the state of Minnesota that um, critics are calling the most radical abortion bill in these United States of America. Yeah, Fred um, was telling me about telling us about this. Yeah, this go, morning. Go for yeah. it, Fred. Yeah, it, just Why is set it red? this up. You know, uh, after Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Dobbs decision last summer, then and then uh, then the states were allowed to. Uh, make laws of their own to regulate abortion. That's basically what the Supreme Court said. Yeah. And so now what's happened uh, in many states, uh, red states, uh, enacted pro-life laws. But in Minnesota, they, they tell us what, what's happened in Minnesota. They have gone totally the other direction. They probably now, the state of Minnesota, the governor is going to sign this into law. Uh, and they're, they're calling it, and they, they, they they give it the name, uh, and I just want to be very clear about this. It's called a, obviously it is it is unbelievable, folks, what they're going to allow in Minnesota. It was a bipartisan vote. Democrats passed this thing over many many Republican objections, but this abortion law. Now, excuse me, it wasn't a bipartisan vote then. That's what you said. It, uh, it yeah, it was it was a partisan a partisan vote. Yeah. Okay. All Republicans on one side, yeah, all Democrats. That's a partisan vote. Yeah, partisan okay. vote. This law, when the governor signs it, and the governor's already said he's going to sign it, this law will allow abortions, folks, are you ready for this? For the full nine months, this baby can be perfectly healthy right up to the point of birth, and this law will allow that little baby to be killed. It is Unbelievable. Heard an interview this morning with a uh, Republican state senator from Minnesota, one of the ones who fought this. Her name is Julia Coleman. And uh, she talks about just how bad and how dangerous this bill is. Cut number seven. 
Republicans, we reached our hands across the aisle. We tried to work with Democrats on this, and each time we pulled back a mangled hand. We tried over 50 times to make this bill more moderate, more reasonable, more bipartisan. Mm -hmm. It started when I introduced an amendment at 21 weeks as the cutoff. Minnesota pioneered the way here and had a 21-weeker survive. We went month by month after that, all the way through a woman in active labor, and they either destroyed or voted down every single amendment. We tried having amendments to say parents get consent over abortions or sterilization of minors. When they shot that down, we said, how about notification to parents? They shot that down, too. We had amendments saying you cannot abort a child solely based on their sex, their race, if they have a disability or Down syndrome, every single time. They shot us down. We even had amendments saying that if you are going to seek a late-term abortion, it must be done in a hospital for the safety of the woman. They shot that down, too. It's not only extreme, but now it's dangerous. Yeah, and she is passionate about this, Senator Julia Coleman, Republican state senator from Minnesota. But she also told the story this morning that earlier on in her life, she was pregnant with twins. And she was told by a doctor that they were going to have to abort one of those twins because the lives of the two babies were in danger in her womb. She refused, and she gave birth to two healthy babies at 33 weeks into the pregnancy. She's passionate about this. As you heard, what was she said? 20 weeks. She tried to get get an amendment Mm -hmm. to this to at least stop the abortions after 20 weeks, and the Democrats said no. We want to abort the babies up to birth till they come down the birth canal. Yes. That would be one of the most radical abortion policies in the world because uh, the European countries don't go that far. No, no. They have, they're about 15 weeks, I mm-hmm. think, most of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody recognizes uh, after that time period, you got a human being. I mean, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. you got a beating heart. you got arms and legs. you got uh, people you going to the uh, OBGYN to get their baby checked every few weeks. And, uh, and in Minnesota, the governor is set to pass a law which will allow for abortion up to the time of birth. Is that is that what you're telling me? Is that is that been so? That's set to happen today. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be signed today, but the governor has signed. It's going to sign it. That's just barbarism. It is all that is. We'll be back momentarily with more of today's issues. Stay with us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.